Morning, Bethel. So our scripture reading for this morning is from Psalm 80. So if you could turn in your Bibles to Psalm 80. We're going to read a portion of this psalm. Uh, You can find it in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Um, You can find it on page 491 in the Pew Bible. And we are going to actually read verses 7 through 19. So if you wouldn't mind, please stand with me in honor of God's word and follow along as I read Psalm 80, verses 7 to 19. This is God's word. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Okay, so I think in short order, you'll you'll see why we read Psalm 80 this morning and how it's a complement to John 15, which is um, our passage for this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John 15, we're going to be looking at John 15, verses 1 to 16. So while you're turning there, I want you to think with me here. I want you to think about what you draw life from. What makes you feel alive? So really, stop and think about it. Like what your life, what really kind of... You feel alive when you're doing this thing. You're just drawn to it. What do you draw life from? Working out? Sexual fantasy? Fantasy football? Sports? Food? Alcohol? Drugs? Social media? Entertainment, you know, your favorite show, you just 
like you just can't wait, and it's like invigorating. You know, this dull, drab, blah, 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 and I can't wait for my show to come on. YouTube, like, just want to, just a little bit of life, little, little, like, you know, tap the stimulant button. <laughs> just feel dead. I've got to find something to feel alive. Your favorite YouTube channel or personality or whatever, are you a news junkie, you just need that. Maybe it's reading, you like to retreat, you know, favorite author or series. Gambling, sometimes risk can be something that people feed off of for life. How about gaming? Travel, work. Everyone's got stuff that they try to draw life from, things that make them feel alive. What is it for you? So, now think about some other people in your life, okay? Have you ever noticed how otherwise quiet or laid-back guys can come alive when they start talking about beer or cars or favorite sports teams or video games or fill-in-the-blank? Like, they're just so, you know, steady, and then something's like, whoa, whoa, that's really alive in you. Or have you noticed women who come alive when talking about the deals that they obtained shopping? Or a product that they love? Or favorite show? Or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm not as good as maybe trying to fill that in. So you fill in the blank, you know. Probably better than me at that. So stop and think about what makes you come alive to talk about it. So it's obviously the last day of 2017. We head into a new year tomorrow, Lord willing. Whether you're a resolution maker or not, it's worth thinking back and thinking ahead, evaluating, planning, in what ways do you need to be recentered as you head into 2018? What needs to change? Have you been thinking about this? What ways do you want to grow? Do you need to grow? How can you spend 2018 well? How can you be sure not to waste your life in 2018? I'm assuming that we all want 2018 to be a fruitful year, not wasted. Hopefully that's a safe assumption. <laughs> so that's what this morning's passage and this message is all about. It's how to not waste your life. How to really live in 2018 and beyond. How to make your life count. How to be fruitful and not barren. How to know joy that's deep and durable. Okay, so... You know, preachers are often guilty of hyperbole and overstatement, like, this is the most important. Like, you said that last week. You know, you said that the week. So I'm speaking very carefully when I say that there is only one way for 2018 to truly be fruitful in a lasting sort of way. There's only one source. And it's the centerpiece of our passage. He is the centerpiece of our passage. So here is John 15, 1 to 16 in a nutshell, okay? 
We must abide in Christ if we are going to bear fruit that lasts. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing of eternal value. Okay? It's fairly simple. We must abide in Christ if we're going to bear fruit that lasts. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing of eternal value. So here's what we're going to do. There is an outline that you'll see on the slides here eventually. There's an outline in your bulletin if it's helpful, you know, to take notes or whatever. But we're going to first just walk through the text. Okay, make sure we understand Jesus' words, flow of thought. And then we're going to take some time to kind of zero in on a few points. That's the outline with particular application for us as we head into the new year. So first we're going to just walk through the text, okay? So if you're not there yet, turn to John 15. Um, It's on page 901 in the Pew Bible if you're using that. And we're going to just walk through it, verses 1 to 16, make sure we get it, what Jesus is saying. So we're clear on that, and then we'll zero in on a few points under three headings, abide, bear fruit, and glorify God, okay? So here we go, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So here's why we read Psalm 80, because Israel, God's people, were spoken of as a vine, right? In Psalm 80, this vine was brought out of Egypt and planted in the promised land, and eventually it grew. Think about the kingdom, God's kingdom on earth under King David, for instance. It just grew and grew and grew and spread all throughout the Middle Eastern world. But eventually, because of the people's rebellion and sin, they were judged. And Assyria, this boar, came in and just wrought havoc and destruction. So that's what's going on in Psalm 80. So Jesus comes on the scene and says, I'm the true vine. Israel failed. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So that's the connection with Psalm 80. They had to be judged Judge they were, but that's not the end of the story. If you remember back in Psalm 80, it's pretty cool. Let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that prayer. Okay, so I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Which that whole thing is unpacked a little bit further in verse 6. You see down there at verse 6, this is the sobering truth. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's judgment. So if you reject Jesus and you refuse to abide in him, that is the consequence. So every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The father, the vine dresser, takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, because you're abiding in the vine, the father prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so we should expect pruning. If you're a Christian, if you're abiding in Christ, The Father is going to prune us. That can be painful, but it's for our good. 
that we would bear more fruit. It's another way of saying, like the Bible talks about in Hebrews 12, he disciplines those he loves, that we may share in his holiness, okay? So that's, there's purpose there. It's a painful pruning, but it's so that we will bear more fruit. The pain is worth the gain, right? Feels like loss. Pruning would be painful if you were a tree, right? But it's setting up greater gain. Listen to this quote by Samuel Rutherford. He said, Why should I flinch at the plow of my Lord that makes deep furrows on my soul? If you can allow the image to shift from branches and, and a vine to uh, soil. I know he is no idle farmer. He purposes a crop. So why would those painful blades just dig into the soil? It's in order to prepare it so that it can receive the seed and be in good soil and grow and bear fruit. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He knows them. He loves them. That warning of verse 2 could frighten them a little bit. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So he says, verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So he's, he's mixing metaphors here, but the point is clear. The disciples, they're already clean. In, in fact, flip back just a page. It's actually on the opposing page if you're using the Pew Bible. Look at 1310. Remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet? And you know, he comes to Peter, and Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, hey, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. So he says, okay, wash my feet, my hands, and my head, everything. Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So it's the same point. They did need washed, cleansed of their daily sins, but that's like foot washing after traveling you know, dusty Middle Eastern roads. They didn't need a full bath the full cleansing of conversion, if you were to think of what the parallel is that Jesus is pointing to. So here in John 15, they already had, Jesus' words had already taken hold of them, though not all of them. Who wasn't clean? 15, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you, though not all of you. Judas, Right? He was a fake. He was a traitor. He wasn't clean. But for those who were in Christ, and if you're in Christ, you're not going to be a branch thrown out and burned. You're already clean. So what you need then is verse 4. A branch cut off from the vine cannot survive and certainly cannot bear fruit. So, verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see it as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You cut a branch off the tree, throw it on the ground, it's not going to bear fruit. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Abiding is not optional, brothers and sisters. It's not advanced Christianity. This is necessary, basic Christianity. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in Christ. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Nothing. He's not kidding. So if we don't abide in Christ, 
It could be that we're not in Christ. And that's a dangerous place to be. So Judas was a follower for a while. He kind of looked like a disciple, but ultimately proved where his true heart was. So Jesus issues this sober warning then in verse 6 for those who might be pretending. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if you are not yet clean, to use the language here, and in, verse, and, and in chapter 13, cleansed by the gospel of Jesus, if you're not abiding in Christ, there's actually good news, even though this is sobering, it's good news that that's exactly why Jesus came. He died to bridge the gap for people just like you to provide the forgiveness, the cleansing, the reconciliation with God so that you could be reconciled with the only source of life. It's what you need. It's what we all need because by nature we're like cut flowers, okay? So we're all spiritually dead by nature, cut off from the life source. Adam and Eve, it all started back there. In the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So when they ate of the fruit, they didn't just like fall over and, you know, just vanish into nothing. They were still alive physically, though they were dying, but they were dead spiritually. They had been severed from their source of life. Their union with God was severed. So the fall was like cutting off the branch that they sat on. You've seen that image, right? Like, how, how dumb is that? Well, that's what sin is like. That's how foolish it is. And we try to live, with God all, live without God all the time. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You'll be thrown out and burned. This is serious warning. So Jesus came and died so that we could be grafted back in. In Romans 11, Paul speaks of the conversion of non-Jews using this Metaphor, he says, although a wild olive shoot, you were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So if you haven't yet reconnected to the source of life, the God who made you, you can this morning by coming to Jesus and trusting in him as your Savior. And I appeal to you to do so. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to talk to you afterwards. So after that warning in verse 6, Jesus returns to the main idea of abiding, okay, along with its necessity and fruitfulness. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So we'll, we'll talk about a little, this a little bit more later, but briefly right now, prayer is part of the abiding. Because Jesus goes on to kind of unpack, like that's kind of a weird phrase, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Like, can you put some hands and feet on that? Like, what does it mean? Well, this is one of the things that it means. Okay, answered prayer then is part of the fruitfulness of abiding. By this, the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit answered prayer, and so proved to be my disciple. So he's glorified when we abide in Christ, his word abides in us, and we ask boldly and persistently. We ask and seek and knock. We don't give up. The reasoning is, is very much like Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If 
You abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you wish, and it will be done. Now, the second half of this section, verses 9 to 16, is basically like a commentary or an explanation on this vine metaphor. Okay, so he's helping us get what he means by this whole abiding thing in verses 9 to 16. So, look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, abide in my love. So this is really helpful. It's encouraging. He doesn't just give us an organic metaphor, branch in the vine. He says this is a relational dynamic. If you want me to unpack it from a different angle, let me say it this way. Yes, abide in the vine, but also abide in my love. It's relational. It's a matter of love. Stick with me. Trust me. Know that I love you. Press in and and hold on to my love for you. Don't ever doubt it. Don't forget it. Abide in it. Live by it. It's the engine that drives the vehicle of our love for others. It's how we keep Christ's commands. So then he goes on, naturally then in verse 10, to say, if you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If nothing else got your attention, I sure hope that got your attention. The whole reason Jesus is saying all this stuff is for the sake of your joy. So I would think we'd want to pay attention, right? Listen up. So verse 12, this is my commandment. We'll come back to that later. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. And obviously Jesus laid down his life for his friends, the disciples, and he laid down his life so that we could, we enemies of God could become his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now remember, he's speaking to his disciples that are already clean. So this is not how you become his friend. D.A. Carson says this, this obedience to the commands is not what makes them friends, it's what characterizes his friends. That's an important distinction. Did you catch that? It's not what makes us, his friends, it's what characterizes his friends. So we don't get in with God. We don't get reconciled with God if we, you know, obey enough. No, we're brought in by grace, grafted in. And when we are, when we have his life coursing within us, then we want to obey him. So it characterizes his friends. Verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. So all this talk of commands and obedience, you could think, oh, is this like slavery? Oh, no, you're not just servants. You are my friends. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, remain, last, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
Okay? So that's just fly over, understand what the passage says. Now let's drill in on these three points here, abide, bear fruit, and glorify. So abiding in Christ is key to the second one, bearing fruit. And if this is what this is all about, abiding and bearing fruit, we better make sure we know what these things mean. So what is abiding? What is bearing fruit? Let's look at them in turn here. First, what does it mean to abide? It means relational involvement and engagement. It means intentional presence, being present, connected. Abiding in Christ is relational, as we saw it. Love, abide in my love. It's not mechanical, like I need to just do these religious rituals in order to fulfill the, check all the boxes. So it's relational. It's organic, branch and vine, not formulaic. Do this and this and this and get blessed like, you know, punch in the numbers and then pull the lever and out comes the blessing. It's relational and it's organic. Everything depends on how we relate to Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. Just like a branch is in the vine and the vine is in the branch. The life of the vine is in the branch. So Jesus ties abiding to then the word and prayer. We're going to see this worked out here. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Do you see? He's unpacking it. What does abiding mean with the word and prayer? So he's going to make concrete what it means to abide in him. So first, the word, his words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So what's your relationship with Jesus like? You can test it by observing your relationship to his words. The Bible says, Jesus said elsewhere, we don't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the word of God is life-giving. It's like food for our souls. So you abide in, you remain in, you draw life from Christ by digesting, ingesting, digesting his word. You're nourished by his word. That's how you draw life from him. Spending time with him in his word, not to check off a box, but to feed your soul. So you and I, we need Jesus' words to abide in us, not just go in one ear and out the other. So how can you plan for 2018 to abide in Christ and have his words abide in you? Are you planning for this? Very practically, for 2018. Do you have a plan? Do you have a place? Do you have a time? Time to, are you going to build time into your life to read and think and pray and meditate and nourish your soul by abiding in Christ and his words abiding in you? New City Catechism is one of the ways that we can do that as well. So notice also that Jesus unpacks what it means to abide in him in verse 9. Abiding in him is abiding in his love. So it's, again, relational dynamic. This is the point of his word. His word is ultimately about his love for us. So Jesus even said, you know, what's, he was asked what's the most important commandment in the law, and he said the whole law and the prophets, the whole testament can be summed up with what? Love God with all you are 
and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus lived and he died to show us the love of God and draw us into it. So you and I, we need to get seriously acquainted with the love of Jesus. That's what we need to go after. If we're going to abide in Christ, we need to abide in his love. So we need to get acquainted with his love, studying it, drinking it in, believing it. It is the source of all of our life and love. So we can love, we will be enabled to love because we know that he first loved us. The more we know his love, the more we can love. And that's what bearing fruit looks like, the fruit of love. So this is a call to intentionally focus on the love of Christ in 2018. I can encourage you to, yes, read the word, but not just to check off boxes, to get to know the love of Christ and to drink it in. So we're abiding in Christ. His word is abiding in us so that this life-giving grace and truth is coursing through our veins. And that life-giving grace and truth is all about his love for us. So we abide in Christ by abiding in his love, allowing his love to be the animating center of our lives, the source of everything that we are and everything that we do. So again, the Samuel Rutherford guy has a little book called The Loveliness of Christ, and he says, Acquaint yourself with Christ's love, and you shall not miss to find new gold mines and treasures in Christ. So, it is so easy to just be busy, even with good things, without abiding in the love of Christ. And ultimately, it can just be a waste. It can be like Martha-like busyness without Mary-like love. It's attempting to produce fruit in our own steam, the kind of fruit that only the love of Christ can produce. It's settling for synthetic substitutes in our own strength rather than allowing the love of Christ to be this engine that drives the fruit, the love of our lives. So what it means to abide in Christ, abiding in his word, abiding in his love, his words abiding in us, but also by means of prayer. Look again at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, so one author um, recounted how he was asked by a successful businessman, does it pay to pray? Is it worth it? And this author responded, does it pay to talk to your spouse? So the point is we can't treat prayer, treat God like that. Is it worth it? Well, yes, but not that kind of worth it. It's the wrong frame of reference, right? This is a relational dynamic. Does it pay to talk to your spouse or to your best friend? That shouldn't be the frame of reference. Does it pay to talk to God? Yes, but again, not that kind of pay. We, we dare not prostitute prayer. So listen to John Newton. I love this. This is of Amazing Grace fame that we sung, um, at least a rendition of it. Here's what he wrote. Indeed, a person who lives in the exercise of faith and love and who finds by experience that it is good for him to draw near to God will not need to be told how often he must pray. 
any more than how often he must converse with an earthly friend. Like, do you have to be told your best friend, like, are, are you talking to your best friend enough? No, you actually want to hang out more than you get to, maybe. So, a person who lives in the exercise of faith and love and who finds by experience that it is good for him to draw near to God will not need to be told how often he must pray any more than how often he must converse with an earthly friend. Those whom we love, we love to be much with. We love to abide with them. Love is the best reason and either resolves or prevents a thousand doubts and questions which may perplex those who only serve God from principles of constraint and fear. A believer will account those his happiest days when he has most leisure and most liberty of, it, of spirit for the exercise of communion with God through Christ. So, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified. So, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but some of us can get hung up on this kind of blank check thing in verse 7. What do you mean, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done? I think, again, we know the reasoning. I mentioned Psalm 37, 4 already, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does that mean? Well, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to shape and change your desires and then give you, in line with, those renewed, changed, shaped desires. But... That doesn't mean even we're going to oftentimes ask for good things and we're not going to see the answer, but you know what? Jesus was even refused one of his good requests. If it's possible, can you take this cup from me? Right? Paul asked that God take the thorn away, thorn in the flesh. And in one sense, he wasn't answered, but in another sense, he was because God said, you know what? This is actually for your good. You're going to be weak, and when you're weak, I'm strong. And so Paul said, okay, I'll boast in my weaknesses. I'm, I'm glad to be weak if it means that Christ is going to be strong through me. So obviously we need to be careful with this promise, but on the other hand, we need to embrace it and say, if I abide in him and his words abide in me, I can ask whatever I wish and it will be done for me. Like there's all kinds of motivation to ask for good things that I would bear fruit and my life would count and matter and not be wasted. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Not for your own you know, selfish ambition, but for the glory of God. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So I know that doesn't answer all our questions, I've tried to address that maybe in more depth at other times, but what I do want us not to miss is our need to actually abide in Christ is much greater than our need for an intellectually satisfying answer to verse 7, the hang-up of the, the so-called blank check. What we really need is to abide in Christ more than anything else. So that's the first point. Second point, bear fruit. The abiding leads to bearing fruit. What's the opposite of, of fruitfulness? Barrenness, emptiness, dryness, withering. How often have you felt that way? 
So is that what you want for yourself and for your life? Is that what you want for 2018? Or do you want to be alive and fruitful? Don't you want to bear fruit that is really sweet and lasting and will feed other people around you, needy, hungry souls around you, neighbors that are in your path in the coming year? It's only going to happen if you are vitally connected by faith to the vine, abiding in Christ. So we've got to turn from every other so-called source of life so that we can trust in and abide in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing, right? So when we abide in him, we depend on him, we will bear much fruit. So connect that with where we started. What do you draw life from? When do you feel alive? Sports, hobbies, again, some of these things are good things, but it's so easy for them to become God things, for them to become substitutes. We're not running to Jesus anymore for life. We're actually trying to squeeze all the life we can get out of these substitutes. Food and drink, entertainment, gaming, social media, whatever. We throw ourselves into these things and we give this token time to Christ. We saturate ourselves with these other things, and Jesus is an afterthought. No wonder our joy isn't full. No wonder our life is feeling barren. We read about these other things. We think about these other things. We feed our habits and our interests, but Jesus is an afterthought. Why do we do that? Because we want to stay tapped into our life source. We're abiding in the wrong thing. So think about it. If you go to sexual fantasy, you want to remain in it. You wish you could live it. If it's social media, why do we keep doing this? Like forever. What in the world? Like, as if five more minutes is going to satisfy our souls if we just scroll like, what's down there? What's down there? There might be some cat video that I haven't seen yet that's just going to like thrill me and you know, set my 2018. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but if we're, if we're actually tapping into those things more frequently and more significantly than Jesus, it's just never going to do it. And if you are tapped into those things and we're looking to them for our source of life, what happens when something threatens that or tries to draw us away? We get annoyed or frustrated or angry if someone tries to pull us away from our life source fulfillment that those sources of life bring, so fleeting, so fragile. And anything other than Jesus that you're drawing life from, you will only have the amount of strength and hope and life that that thing can supply. So take money for it. An example. Money can be a powerful source of life. It can drive people to be incredibly productive, right? It's bearing fruit. But what it produces is not real joy or life or security or anything that lasts because you can't take it with you and it can be gone like that. So the joys, the life 
that these things can provide. They're not durable. They're not lasting. They're shallow. They're fragile and very short-lived. And the fruit that they do produce, if they produce any at all, is not fruit that will last. So here's the bottom line. Here's what all this is driving to. All that Jesus has been saying about abiding in him, drawing your life from him, finding life in him, why is he saying all this? Do you realize why Jesus is saying all this and doing all of this? He's saying it so that your joy would be full, so that his joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants to give us his joy. He wants our joy to be full. Like we'd be crazy not to listen to him. We'd be crazy not to abide in him. He wants our lives to count and make a lasting difference, to matter and bear fruit. Like what a loving Savior and source of all life, all joy, all significance, and everything that he's saying is so that we would set down the little, fragile, fleeting sources of life and joy so that we could abide in him the source of true and lasting, durable joy. Everything that we need, everything that we're after, everything that we most need, it is all in Jesus. So do you see how abiding leads to joy? And abiding in his love leads us to obey his commandment to love. We can love because we know he first loved us. We've fed our souls on that love. We've abided in that love day by day. And abiding and being full of the joy and love of Jesus leads us to be ready to share it with those around us. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So you're going to go and share this joy, share this life, share this love with those around you. So all of this leads to a life that's not in vain. It's not wasted, but rather it's this fruitful life that radiantly glorifies God. So if we're running after everything else and given token time to Jesus, if we're squeezing life out of all these little things, we're not going to be glorifying God. Nobody's going to believe us that Jesus is a great Savior or that he's the greatest treasure of the universe. So if you've been trying to just milk all these things for what they're worth and trying to satisfy your soul with these substitute sources of life, guess what? If, if you're convicted, I'm convicted. He's pruning us this morning. Like how kind of him to prune us so that we can bear more fruit, just like verse 1 and 2 says. So if we're really going to be filled with fruit, we've got to first be emptied of our idolatry. Sometimes pruning is painful, but it's going to lead us to be more fruitful. 
and he wants to give us more joy. He wants to purify our love and cause it to abound so that we'll bear more fruit, so that we'll show ourselves to be his disciples. So Bethel, as we head into 2018, let's abide in Christ. Let's abide in his love. Be students of his love. Drink it in. Soak ourselves in his love. And our love will abound because he first loved us. Our joy will abound. It will be durable and full because it's the joy of the Lord in us. Joy in the one who will never leave us or forsake us. It's a durable joy. It's out of reach of our circumstances. It can be in the face of horrible circumstances. We can rejoice in the Lord always. And we will radiate with the glory of God and bear much fruit that will last. So, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling my need for Jesus. So I hope that you are as well, and we can sing this last song as a prayer, just even as we sung it earlier. Lord, I need you. So if the musicians can come on up, I will pray, and then we'll sing this final song as a prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so persistently, proactively after our hearts, after our joy. You love us enough to come after us. We thank you that your father, the vine dresser, prunes us that we can bear more fruit. So where we need to just drop substitute sources of life and cling to you and abide in you, I pray that you would do that work, that you would convict us and that you would motivate us to run to Jesus this morning. And not just this morning, but to lay patterns and habits in this coming year cultivating a life that abides in Christ, abides in his great love so that we bear much fruit that abounds to your glory. Please, would you do it for the sake of your great name?